Hey, friends. At Plain Spoken, I'm usually talking about things relating to the United Methodist Church, and someday that'll change because Wesleyanism is a lot bigger than the United Methodist Church. But a big part of why I disaffiliated from the UMC was that I could speak publicly and openly about the UMC because there are a lot of things that are hidden that a lot of people need to know. And I knew I would get in trouble if I said out loud on the internet the things that I have been saying from under the umbrella of the UMC. So I'm now gladly a global Methodist elder, and I've been doing interviews with other Wesleyan uh, representatives from other denominations, and that's been really fun. And I, I, I like knowing that the world is bigger than the United Methodist Church. Even so, there are a lot of people still within the UMC that care very much about what's going on, and they can't share information openly without fear of repercussions. So that's what I'm using this channel, Plain Spoken, to do, and so I'm glad you're watching. Um, I do a lot of stuff on my own, but a lot of times I, I wait on people to email me at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. That's my email address. And uh, today I got a, a mailing from a, a friend in Mississippi. Now, Mississippi, if you don't remember, is one of the only conferences that is overtly conservative. They, uh, a couple of years ago, as a conference, came out with a resolution standing very firmly in favor of the biblical uh, sexuality position that's talked about in the Book of Discipline that is still there that, that liberals have been trying to overturn for decades. They came out in favor of that, and actually it went before the Judicial Council as to whether or not they could speak in favor of it, and the Judicial Council said, yes, of course they can. Um, Mississippi is where Bishop Sharma D. Lewis is bishop, and I'm going to show you. If you've forgotten who she is, that's who she is. And she came from Virginia before, where she uh, filed charges against Drew Enns, who facilitated a gay wedding. Um, she is also the one who filed charges against two female clergy. You remember this? Mississippi bishop moves forward with trial involuntarily for two clergy who officiated non—well, it doesn't say here non-binary, but these two right here claim to be non-binary, and, and these two female clergy said, well, we don't have anything in the Book of Discipline about non-binary weddings, and that did not fly with Bishop Lewis, who was able to secure a just resolution that uh, was a pretty harsh penalty for these uh, two female clergy. So we've known or suspected that Bishop Lewis is actually conservative and sympathetic to conservatism. Maybe not. Maybe she just cares about—she's um, one of these few with integrity in the system that actually cares about upholding what we have voted on in the Book of Discipline. Either way, uh, she's one of the few bishops. And so in Mississippi, um, they have the same Book of Discipline that we do, and the Board of Trustees has come out with a statement. Actually, this statement has been in place for some time about uh, whether or not disaffiliations will be able to continue past the end of this year. So if you recall, at General Conference 2019, the General Conference voted on once and for all our stance on homosexuality, gay marriage, gay people in the pulpit, maintaining the conservative position that we've always had, and then came up with gracious provisions for exit, a right to exit under paragraph 2553 that was supposed to get sussed out the 2020 General Conference, and this was before they were aware of the high costs associated with uh, pension liabilities. Anyway, things didn't go that way. COVID happened, 
and uh, there's been a lot of uh, bad faith decision making along the way. One of it being that that most conferences didn't even begin using paragraph 2553 until the end of last year, and it sunsets at the end of this year, even though it was supposed to be a longer provision. Anyway, their board of trustees uh, came out with a statement on October 20th, 2022. So I direct you, if you're in front of a screen, I'm going to read to you selections of this, but October 20th, 2022, their board of trustees got together. The first few paragraphs of this just rehearse the history that I've already kind of uh, done on, on my own. Uh, I'll skip to this paragraph that begins, the disaffiliation policy and paragraph 2553 of the discipline provide the right to disaffiliate, that the right to disaffiliate is limited, and that a local church desiring to exit the denomination must complete the process prior to the end of the year. So that's how it's limited. It's a, it's a, a timeline issue. It should be remembered that the regularly scheduled 2020 General Conference of the UMC was postponed due to the global COVID-19 pandemic and has not yet been held. So what is being shown, reflected in this document, is that Mississippi has more common sense than the majority of power brokers in the United Methodist Church. And what I mean by that is uh, the example I, I covered Bishop Tom Bickerton making a statement with respect to whether or not paragraph 2553 can be utilized by central conferences. You remember that? Central conferences are non-American conferences. There are a lot that would like to get away from the UMC. When General Conference 2019 got together, it was the consensus of the group that uh, paragraph 2553 would not operate until the following year after General Conference 2020. But that was postponed, as, as this just reminded us. Technically, the General Conference getting together next year is the 2020 General Conference, which means that 2553 wouldn't even get activated for central conferences until after next year's General Conference. But in the very language of paragraph 2553 is the sunset of that provision at the end of this year. <laughs> so essentially, Bickerton put out this public statement saying central conferences can't use it because according to the, the wording we put together, you know, General Conference 2020 hasn't happened yet, and so they can't do it, shucks, you know, looks like they just can't get out. Even though the clear will of the body was that anyone who wants out can get out, they get to use the strict language to uh, overturn the will of the body. You see how that works? It's like people using the Bible to say the opposite of what it says. These, these same characters doing the same thing with different texts. It's, it's almost as though they elevate themselves above the text. Anyway, what the Mississippi Board of Trustees shows is that they have some common sense, and even though, yes, the language does limit this provision to the end of this year, that clearly isn't quite right. So that's what the rest of this policy is about. It was anticipated—let's go back to the document—it was anticipated that further action would be taken at the 2020 General Conference to deal with disagreements within the UMC related to human sexuality, and as a result— 2553. The disaffiliation policy was approved as temporary measures to address these. They're talking about their conference disaffiliation policy, I think. On March 15th, 2022, the Council of Bishops of the UMC affirmed that paragraph 2553 is the primary provision of the discipline to be used for disaffiliation and separation from the denomination. As a corrective to this, I would say that uh, so there used to be this provision in the Book of Discipline, paragraph 
which allowed local churches simply to transfer their property and affiliation to another evangelical denomination. Whenever the, the, the judicial council reviewed that, for some reason they conclude, no, the presence of 2553 cancels that out, and now par paragraph 2553 is not the primary provision used for disaffiliation. It is the only provision for disaffiliation. So I actually think they're wrong to say uh, that there's a secondary provision. What they're going to infer is, well, let's, let's go back to it. <clears throat> the discipline, paragraph 2549, sets forth an approved process for the disposition of property of closed local churches and is believed to currently provide the best alternative for leaving the denomination upon the expiration of paragraph 2553. So paragraph 2549 point B is used, is designed for closing a church, not for disaffiliating a church. However, it is more and more widely being used for allowing churches to disaffiliate. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and talk about twenty-five forty-nine point B. So this is um, the Book of Discipline as it currently stands. Here's the actual language of twenty-five forty-nine point B. At any time, oh, it's three B. Excuse me. At any time between sessions of annual conference, if the presiding bishop, the majority of DSs, and the appropriate district board of church location and building all consent, they may, in their sole discretion, declare exigent circumstances exist and that require immediate protection of the local church's property for the benefit of the denomination. In such case, title to all the real and personal, tangible and intangible property of the local church shall immediately vest in the annual conference, board of trustees who may hold or dispose of such property in its sole discretion, subject to any standing rule of the annual conference. Exigent circumstances include, but are not limited to, situations where a local church no longer serves the purpose for which it was organized or incorporated, or where the local church property is no longer used, kept, or maintained by its membership as a place of divine worship of the UMC, when it next meets the annual conference, shall decide whether to formally close the local church. So that is the actual language we're talking about in the, the Book of Discipline. Now, what it's met practically up to this point is hostile takeovers of local churches. So do you remember this article, Conference Sues for Control of Megachurch? This was in 2021 at Mount Bethel and North Georgia Annual Conference. Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson at this time uh, went improperly through the process of consultation, had a surprise shakeup where they were moving their head pastor against his will while the church was positioning to disaffiliate. It was clearly seen as a hostile movement. They refused to comply, and because they did that, Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson filed against them using paragraph 2549.3b uh, to declare exigent circumstances and seize their assets and they had to pay a massive payout to get their building and assets back. So whenever uh, my own annual conference got together earlier this year in April, and they were trying to shut down local churches, disaffiliating, uh, it was argued, hey, there's other provision for allowing for disaffiliation. And I got up at the floor of annual conference and said, what are you talking about? And the bishop said, well, paragraph 2549.3. And he read it to me and the whole assembly, and I said, this is the same provision that's being used. Have you seen my reporting on Fifth Avenue, United Methodist in uh, uh, North Carolina? That's how the bishop took over that church. Um, have you seen what's uh, going on in 
East Ohio, I'm pretty sure 2549.3b is what was used for Struthers United Methodist Church, which I've also covered. I'm about to look at Surf City United Methodist Church. There are a number of churches where there's a hostile takeover going on that the bishop decides that, uh, you know, it's just better to take the property. So if you looked at my recent coverage on Eastern Pennsylvania Annual Conference under uh, John Scholl, he put their conference... Um, uh, chancellor up to providing this, it sounded like an ad hoc uh, uh, resolution. It turned out to be formulated before. You, you'll see the the writing here. Um, quote, the Eastern Pennsylvania Annual Conference supports and encourages the bishop, district superintendents, and district board of church location to utilize paragraph 2549.3b's ad interim procedures to protect any local church's property for the benefit of the denomination if that local church takes steps to leave the denomination without following the disciplinary process. So 2549.3b is a hostile takeover situation, but it's also a provision for conferences that don't really like being public about their disaffiliation numbers. I'm thinking here about West Virginia Annual Conference under Bishop Sandra Steiner Ball, thinking about South Carolina Annual Conference. Both of these have refused categorically to even use 2553. They've instead used 2549 and released hundreds of churches uh, by simply closing them. And they've negotiated with them behind closed doors as to what they would pay out to do that. Uh, some people I've talked to have said that the terms were more favorable than 2553. A uh, number of others have said actually they were worse. So take that for what it is. We need to get back to this Mississippi document, but we're going to come back at the end and ask, is this a good thing that they're using 2549 or a bad thing? So let's go back to the, the Board of Trustees document in Mississippi. The conference trustees wished to provide a means for local churches desiring to exit the denomination on terms and conditions consistent with 2553 after it expires. They determined that by utilizing 2549 and to process terms and conditions consistent with 2553 in conjunction with 2549 would be the best and most consistent means of leaving the denomination after the expiration of 2553. So what they're essentially saying is, even though 2553 expires at the end of this year, they will utilize 2549 to accomplish pretty much the exact same thing. Same terms, we'll just let it go longer, because one, it was clearly intended to go longer based on what happened at General Conference 2020, which is next year, so they're, they're not obeying the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. But secondly, you know, the, well, it's, it's, it's tied to it. There are a lot of conservatives that don't want to leave until something actually changes. But the thing is, as it's written, you have to get out before you see if it changes. So there's going to be a big battle next year. And based on that, then conservatives might get clear, yeah, we got to get out of here. But if there is no provision for disaffiliation at that point, then they are trapped. And that's what conservatives have been warning against for a couple years now. Let's finish off this document. On a duly made motion and seconded, the trustees adopt this report affirming that after the expiration of the provisions of 2553, the current disaffiliation pro policy approved by the trustees will be utilized. So there's a little bit more language that attests to the, just the clarity they have there. This was adopted by the Board of Trustees. It is fully their intention to use 2549 as an extension of 2553 for <clears throat> a couple more years to match a timeline 
consistent with what was originally proposed. So this on its surface sounds good. It says at the end of the provision that this will expire at the end of 2025. I'm not sure how they can do that. I think a conference or its leadership can use 2549 however they want. It would seem to be the case that, yeah, we, we created this convoluted structure and, and process for churches to follow, but then you have this release valve, 2549, where as long as these people at the top are happy, they can negotiate with the local church to close them and sell the property back at, at some agreed-upon price. So this is happening in, in multiple annual conferences. Bishop Graves has said this is what he intends to do in Alabama, West Florida. We'll see if he makes good on that. Um, my own former conference is doing this. I'm aware of some very small local churches that have been extended this offer, offer to negotiate behind closed doors and buy their property back with the Board of Trustees. So this seems to be um, some kind of like panacea uh, release valve for conferences that realize, well, 2553 is convoluted. It's hard to make it work. We'll use it against big, rich churches that we want to make it difficult for them to leave. But um, a lot of these smaller churches we don't care about. Let's just, you know, let's get rid of them. Let's not have a big conference vote. Let's not have all this drama. Let's just dismiss them behind closed doors. Um, they can negotiate any price that they want. There is nothing in the Book of Discipline saying it has to be the same as 2553. So in one respect, this is actually kind of ungracious because if they want to use 2549, Mississippi could decide to make it virtually free. Um, if they wanted to. So in one sense, this is gracious. They're extending a provision that the General Conference clearly wanted. You know, this might be an extension of, uh, you know, Bishop Lewis, to my knowledge, has not made any statements as to her theological predispositions. It could be that she's just loyal to the will of the General Conference body, and she knows that the will of the General Conference was for this to be a provision for churches to exercise based on what happened at the next General Conference. And so if that's the case, then she's just operating under the aegis and authority of the General Conference, whereas most bishops are in rebellion against it or indifferent to it. Um, so, you know, she's not given any more or any less leeway than what the conference, the General Conference stated. And if that's the case, wow, she has more integrity than just about anyone in the mix right now. But I also really admire... Other bishops, like Bishop Sines, Sines, what, Sines is how they pronounced it. And uh, if you saw my reporting on the the Greater, what was it? Great Plains, the Great Plains Annual Conference. Uh, under his leadership, they were able to tap into reserves and uh, pay off the disaffiliation fees for their churches. Uh, none did the same thing in Northwest Texas. There are conferences um, that, that have been able to be very gracious in the midst of this, and I want to continue to highlight that um, because there are other conferences that have chosen to be the opposite. I'm thinking here of CalPAC, which covered a couple weeks ago, or um, Baltimore, Washington. So when you have these very disingenuous uh, leaders that are doing everything they can to entrap local churches in their conferences, you, you really have to, to give thanks for conferences that are not quite so hostile. As I said, I, I got notified about this by a, a friend who, who wrote me, and um, the way he did the breakdown, well, I'll, I'll, I'll show you my breakdown first. I've got that form, you'll remember, that kind of tracks um, different conferences and what kind of decline they've seen. Mississippi has been in decline 
uh, when you're talking about the number of churches, the attendance has declined uh, almost 35%. Well, and this is just through 2021. I, I haven't seen their 2022 numbers yet. Um, their membership has declined. They just lost 189 churches. They have another special called conference on December 4th of this year, I believe. And then it looks like they're going to continue to to host other uh, conferences over the next couple of years to allow disaffiliations. Um, but they have lost 21.5% of their uh, churches so far. I don't know how that tracks with their membership uh, just yet, but I, I had this guy write me. One of the things that I meant to say before this was when when these boards of trustees make these commitments to use 2549 in this way after this year, they are making a big assumption that the general conference will not close this loophole, and that's a dangerous thing. <laughs> so fine, maybe up until next year's general conference they can do this, but if the general conference decides that they don't want there to be any release valve whatsoever and that 2549 can only be used under very strict circumstances— then it doesn't matter what promises are made right now. They're not going to be able to keep them. So regardless of what happens next year at the general conference, there's going to, it's going to be a bloodbath. There have already been churches leaving, and then the question is, are, is the United Methodist Church going to be gracious enough to let them leave with the, the buildings and assets that they've accrued in the, the century or so before now that, that they built up? Or are these people just going to have to leave with the clothes on their backs? Are they just going to have to vote with their feet? They've already been voting with their feet for decades. They've lost millions. It's, it's, the denomination's been in free fall for a couple years now. question is, are they going to be gracious and um, limit the suffering, or are they just going to gouge them for all they're worth? And it seems to me that uh, the majority of bishops have already decided their disposition is, let's gouge them. You know, I, 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 it seems to me that a number of bishops are fully on board with managing albatross properties and that their business model for the next few years, they'll say they're making disciples, but what they're actually going to be doing is liquidating properties that they did hostile takeovers of or so demoralize the congregations that filled them that they just leave. So that's, that's what is in store for the next five years of the United Methodist Church as they sit on the reserves that are put together by all these churches paying out. It doesn't sound like fun, but it sounds like you have a bunch of administrators that are up for the challenge. All right, so this, this friend that wrote me said, um, by his numbers, 19% of churches in the Mississippi Annual Conference had disaffiliated. My number was a little over 21, I think, yeah. He says the average membership—this is the work I haven't done—the average membership of disaffiliating churches was 193, and the average attendance was 48. So this resulted in a decrease in membership of almost a quarter, 24%, and the same for attendance. So he's just talking about in the last year. He's using numbers that I don't have yet. So he says, if the 2024 General Conference goes the way we all fear it will, I suspect the Mississippi Annual Conference will cease to exist as the vast majority of the state's Methodists are very conservative and will exit the denomination. So I... I, tend to agree with him. I think that um, Mississippi is probably going to be no more, and they're under the leadership of uh, a bishop that um, seems to, to care about the will of the, the conference and is trying to provide a way out for those whom she's responsible for, and so that's great. 
What's this have to do with everybody else? It has to do with this larger tendency of using 2549 to accomplish what, for one reason or another, 2553 is not accomplishing. So there are a lot of conferences, bishops, staffs, that are using 2549 as an option for disaffiliation because they don't like 2553 for one reason or another. And there are a lot of churches, a lot of people have reached out to me with this question of this, the bishop and his staff have reached out to me with this option, should I take it? And the answer to that is, I don't know, it depends. Because you might have a friendly bishop like Bishop Lewis uh, or Signs, you might have a very unfriendly bishop like, um, uh, oh, heck, uh, Shoal. So depending on who extends the offer to you, they might be trying to gouge you or they might be trying to help you. And then when you're having to decide, do we do 2549 or do we try and exit under 2553? That's where a lot of churches have reached out to me. They've extended 2549 as an option. Should I take that or do 2553? The answer still is, I don't know. You have to have good faith partners either way you go. And if you're dealing with bad faith partners, you can't read their minds, so you don't know. So there are, just, there are people that will speak with authority on you should do this. This is the best policy. It seems to me that the sands are constantly moving in the United Methodist Church, and there is no one approach that works well. I, I would say that no matter what approach you do, do as much as you can above ground in the open so that other people see what's going on. Do everything righteously and in good faith. Even if they're being in bad faith, you maintain your righteousness so that you're not carrying this regret at the end of the day. Because the thing is, um, the distressing thing about all this is that you have people who sit in the seat of Peter and the apostles who are administering the church, who in the name of the church are behaving in ungodly ways. And not only are they not being self-reflective right now and seeing that they are behaving regrettably, but they have resolved never to see things that way. They, they are sworn enemies of people who see things the way that that I see things, and have chosen to caricature me and others like me as Nazi Confederate bigots. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I put out a video just yesterday of retired Bishop Stith laying all of the disaffiliation at the feet of nasty racists uh, like me, even though I, I would very clearly and vocally say, I think we're all equally made in God's image, and I want to be in, in relationship and do church with people of all ages, nations, and races these leaders who see themselves as on the right side of history have no shame whatsoever about disenfranchising um, people out of the buildings and assets that they've accrued for God's glory and to honor the legacy of those who came before them. And so when that's the case, um, and you're dealing with people like this, and they're the ones who hold the power, then you have to get to a sober place where you realize there is no one approach that's going to work. And in fact, a lot of you are in positions where there is no winning. You're just not going to win against people. If, they're, if they are that ingrained in their way of thinking, there's just no card for you to play uh, <laughs> and, and maintain righteousness. You know, you can fight dirty. I mean, that's what a lot of churches have come down to is fighting dirty, but then your conscience is stained and Satan is glorified. And then you have to, to try and take yourself seriously as a, a servant of Jesus after that when you've just been a minion of Satan. I, I just, I, I can't bless that. I think no matter which path you go, 2549, 2553, maintain your righteousness. Do not lie. Do not compromise your integrity. And if it costs you your building and assets, 
at least you can still look at yourself in the mirror afterwards. So I don't know how a lot of these UMC leaders can look in the mirror, but I, I, uh, I, I respect a lot of people in the GMC or who have gone independent or have gone free Methodist who've maintained their integrity. I maintain, I, man, I really respect a lot of conservatives who are staying in the United Methodist Church and maintaining their integrity. And they know they're going to be in hostile waters. They know they're going to be hated, but they're going to speak the truth in love. And so at the end of the day, that's just really where, where my heart is, is, is these people that are just going to choose to be hated because that's what Jesus meant. And you hate for that to be in the church. But um, if that's the time and place we're living in, there are going to be people who, who just grit their teeth and, and do the work that needs to get done. So God bless you. I, I chose to leave because I wanted to do this work, and I didn't think it would go well for me on the inside. I still might regret that. Um, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time and energy praying for next year's general conference that there are still enough faithful delegates in the mix to, um, to help the right things happen, to glorify God. Uh, but in the meantime, there's just a lot of agony and hand-wringing and anxiety, and I, I guess I would just exhort you, if you're in an anxious place, just remember that Jesus said not to worry and that at the end, he's not going to fault you for losing a church, uh, but at his judgment seat, he will fault you for losing your righteousness uh, at the hands of sinners. So maintain your righteousness. Um, I hope this is useful. I, I don't know. I hope my thoughts are useful to people. If, the, if you think they have been, feel free to, to share me with, with someone else that you think is in an anxious place. Uh, I know that I haven't offered a do always do this, you know, a simple one-fix uh, solution. But um, I hope I hope if you listen to me, you've got a sense of clarity and peace as you move forward with um, an institution that isn't always aspiring to what it says it believes. All right, I'm I'm going to stop talking for now. But um, I'll, I'll see you next time. I'll put something else out soon, and and um, just be in prayer for me that I can be as helpful as I'm trying to be. Um, okay, I'll see you guys next time. Bye.